0: Today on Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, Valentine's Day. Hey everybody, welcome to Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet. It's the only podcast on the internet where we talk about every single Bruce Springsteen song in alphabetical order. I'm JB Clark. I'm joined as always by Rob Carmack. Hey JB. How you doing, man? Good, man. Welcome back to the Tunnel of Love review show.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm glad we're finally That's hitting we're our stride at. with Tunnel of Love.
0: <laughs> Was this the third and four weeks?
1: I don't the even... Fourth? I've lost track. It's a bunch. The we've, fourth
0: and five weeks? We've,
1: we've really... I mean, we we pretty... We neglected this album pretty good. Or I, I won't say we did. The Alphabet neglected this album pretty strongly, like, at the in the first half of the Alphabet. But, it's man, true. once we hit the, the S's and the T's, it's, like, since spare parts, it's been, like, Tunnel of Love has just been happening. Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, so it's, things are good. We're just, uh, we're here riding through the tunnel of love on Valentine's Day. So the song, what we're talking about here, JB, in case somebody's listening for the first time and they don't know what we're talking about, the song we're talking about here today is the song Valentine's Day. And this is the final track on Bruce Springsteen's 1987 album, Tunnel of Love. And that is what this song is. And Jim Baviglia from American Songwriter ranks this at number 94 in his Springsteen sure Top does. 100. Which is, that's pretty good. It's a pretty good ranking. Yeah. And uh, this song has been played live six times, all on the Devils and Dust tour. He never once played this song on the Tunnel of Love Express tour in 1988. When he was promoting this album, he never did this. But he brought it back out during Devils and Dust exactly six times. That's the only, it has only been played those six times. And the most recent performance of the song was on October the 21st, 2005, at the, and I love the name of this venue so much, at the Dunkin' Donuts Center in Providence, Rhode Island. That's right. Because some places have, have arenas like Wrigley Field and Fenway Park. But in Providence, Rhode, Rhode Island, it's the Dunkin' Donuts Center. So that's, uh, that's what we're in. I mean, look, I'm, I am i can't throw too much shade. I live in the Metroplex. We've got the American Airlines Center here. So, you know, yeah. I mean, you know. Globe we, Life
0: Park. Yeah. For all of your life insurance needs.
1: Absolutely. We had, I don't know what this, the, the big pavilion's called now. For a little while, it was Coca-Cola. And now, then for a little while, it was called Smirnoff. I guess once it turned twenty one, it can move up from Coca Cola to Smirnoff. So that's correct. That's how that works.
0: That's the way age works. Yeah,
1: venues. Once a venue turns twenty one years old, it can be named after an alcoholic beverage. That's the sure law. can. I, look, I'm not a legal expert, but it's definitely what what it says in the law. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: it's um, true. They're thinking about uh, we're, we're closing out twenty one years over here for the arena, they're thinking about calling it the Odul's Center.
1: Well, you could have called it the Odul's Center before that, right? Because
0: Odul's mm, is mm, mm, mm. you got to be twenty one to buy Odul's, sir.
1: But O'Dul's is non alcoholic.
0: That's right, but it's it's a adult beverage. It's it's a placebo beverage. hmm
1: That's like saying you can't buy <laughs> it's like saying you can't buy candy cigarettes until you're eighteen.
0: I have purchased non alcoholic beer for friends of mine who drink non alcoholic beer before and been carded. By people who were aware that it was Non-alcoholic beer uh, Okay There are some
1: laws That make a lot of sense And there are some laws That make no sense And that's gonna have to go Into the latter category
0: That's right I was buying a couple of cases Of this really delicious Non-alcoholic beer uh, That I only knew how to find At like the Whole Foods In Nashville And uh, so I had a bunch of cases Of Erdingers <laughs> And uh, the the uh, lady checking me out Just gave me this insane look And I looked at her And I was like We're having a party night We're gonna get so full <laughs>
1: <laughs> or it's like, it's, you ever see that episode of Freaks and Geeks where Lindsay throws a party because her parents are out of town and the, the younger brother and his friends switch out the keg for non-alcoholic beer and all the older kids who were there like believe that they're all getting drunk because they don't know that the beer is non-alcoholic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, it's placebo.
1: It works. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that, that's the thing. Like You definitely don't want to drink and drive O'Doul's because you might think... That you're inebriated and that could be you a problem. You might think you're drunk, even even though your blood alcohol yeah, level we, would still be zero. You you would still you, you would still be in trouble for believing that you were drunk. That's amazing. We fa-
0: Coors is non alcoholic beer it looks almost exactly like their regular alcoholic beer, and we uh, got my buddy a lot of Coors non alcoholic beer for his like college graduation party, and he drank. Like a lot of non-alcoholic beer <laughs> that night, and it was so funny. <laughs> oh man, it was so funny.
1: Non-alcoholic beer makes no sense to me. Like all it oh, does is make gosh. you like full. Like that's the yeah. that's the only that's the only thing it does. Like you could either drink all this non-alcoholic beer or you could just eat a giant loaf of bread. They'll both give you exactly the same after feeling. You know, that's like, right. I guess one is more so. Like it's it's weirder, I guess, to go to a party and stand around like with a loaf of bread in your hand than it is like Chomping a Chomping down a loaf of bread. Yeah. I'm gonna do, next time I get invited to a party, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring my own. I'm gonna bring a baguette. I'm gonna go to Tom's. I'm gonna to buy the biggest baguette I can find. I'm just gonna walk around and just eat on it instead of non-alcoholic beer.
0: That works, man. Same I'll,
1: thing. I'll I'll post a picture of it. Everybody will enjoy. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're just talking about Valentine's Day. Man, did we deviate? <laughs> so um so anyway that, that those were the basic facts that it's only been played six times, most recently in Providence, Rhode Island, 2005. So musically. How how are we feeling about this song?
0: Uh, So the bass really pushes the acoustic through the progression here. It's just big bass, whole notes, kind of walking. Some acoustic Uh, guitar. keyboard comes in.
1: Some gentle strumming on on an
0: acoustic guitar. gentle, very gentle acoustic guitar strumming. Uh, That sweet, sweet Tunnel of Synth pops in. Yes. After the first verse. Also Uh, very slight. You know the one.
1: In, In comparison to how it shows up on songs like Tunnel of Love, it's very... Like, Roy is, like, pulling back pretty hard
0: on this. I I would say compared to any other song, though, it's still very pervasive.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, we're we're on the tunnel of love scale, which is, like, are we, you know, like, is it it all synth or is it, like, moderate synth? And that's – this is on the moderate side in comparison to other things.
0: And in case you're you're thinking, what synth is this? It's the synth that Roy Bitten is playing in the background of all the ambient nature shadow scenes in Twin Peaks.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> this is this is the slow dance song at a at a junior high school homecoming dance right. circa nineteen eighty
0: seven. Uh, the melody is really sparse, and it's actually kind of nice uh, with the rest of it. He he isn't at all out of breath, but he spaces the phrases like he would uh, had he just run up like a small um, mountain. You know, like one of those little mountains that you you climb in like an hour. Yeah. Yeah, like, like a little, kinda, like a hill. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if mountain. you're at a high elevation and then there's a hill and, and so it qualifies as a mountain. Um, but really it's like a parking lot and like a mile of trail. It's like, well, it's like being in San Francisco and like running up
1: a, a street that has an incline.
0: Yes. You know, like that. Also just known as a street in San Francisco. Right. Or, I mean, you could be running uh, a down a pair of loafers in San Francisco. <laughs> Last <laughs> time I went. That was a bad move, dude. Uh,
1: you need lace up shoes to be walking around San Francisco.
0: It's true. I also really love the way he barely sings "Lonely Valentine." It's nice.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a it's a very nice like sonically. This is a very pleasing, like gentle kind of song. And it's we should say also. I don't even remember if I said this earlier. This is the final track on this album. So if right. you've been listening to the Tunnel of Love album all the way through, this is this is the last thing you're gonna hear before the record stops. And I think, I think there's something to – we can talk a little bit more about that when we get into the theme. But there, there, I think that's a really interesting choice for Bruce to have made to close out this album.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jim Bavigli actually talks about the sequencing in his book. I got a little ep- excerpt here. Oh, good, uh, yes. The sequencing was a counterintuitive move by Springsteen, Springsteen that works only because it isn't a dramatic a – drastic- departure from everything that precedes it had valentine's day been as gooey a love song as the title might suggest the effect would have been too jarring and would have come off as disingenuous but it isn't it is a realistic depiction of the priority of love in someone's life the song in no way mitigates the struggle and toil that it takes to keep two people together when the pressure of the outside world invade and their own inner natures interfere what it does suggest is that backing down from that struggle and toil is a far bigger mistake than taking it on and coming up short. In other words, the reward far outweighs the risk. Yes.
1: Well, that, that covers the theme in the lyrics yeah. pretty, pretty so, well. So
0: this has been Valentine's Day. Yeah. Uh, for <laughs> yeah. Jim Baviglia, I'm J.B. Clark. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thanks, Jim. <laughs> All right. Um, well, on that, do you want let, let's let's hop on over to to lyrics? Why don't you read the lyrics and then we'll sort of like talk about sort of what Jim Jim's getting at in his um, in his
0: essay there. Absolutely. All right. So I'm driving a big lazy car, rushing up the highway in the dark. I got one one hand steady on the wheel and one hand trembling over my heart, which it's by, pounding, baby. Which like by the way,
1: um, th- this is a common Bruce, Bruce Springsteen motif, like dry, like opening a song with the narrator driving a car. Like, you see this a lot. Yeah. And, and a lot of times it, it's meant to sort of reflect some amount of, like, there's that, this pensive nature to we're, we're, we're headed somewhere or we're thinking about something, we're, we're mulling something over. Like, the car, being inside a car at the beginning of a, of a song is a very Bruce Springsteen move. Anyway, continue.
0: Yes. Uh, it's oftentimes, like, contemplative when it's not ac- action-packed, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Uh, I got my hand steady on the wheel and one hand's trembling over my heart. It's pounding, baby, like it's going to bust right on through and it ain't going to stop till I'm alone again with you. A friend of mine became a father last night. When we spoke in his voice, I could hear the light of the skies and the rivers, the timber wolf in the pines, and that great jukebox out on Route 39. They say he travels fastest who travels alone, but tonight I miss my girl. Mister, I miss my home.
1: Okay, so by the way, the line here where it says, A friend of mine became a father last night. Um, Bruce has acknowledged that that is a direct reference to when he found out that uh, his friend and manager John Landau uh, had first become a father in 1985. So that, um, that that's him sort of remembering the emotion of a, a good friend of his telling him that his child had been born. And so like th- that feeling of, yeah. like, like joy for this other person, but also sort of this realization of maybe that's something I need. like maybe, maybe there's some some sort of longing that I have that now he doesn't have because there's a child in his life. And, and and I'm not saying, like, that's good or bad, or, like, that that's that's a appropriate or healthy way to interact with it, but it seems to be... That seems to be where the narrator of the song is. Like, he sees this person having a child, and there's a part of him that wonders, do I want that, you know?
0: Well, yeah, and, and that's also sort of a moment... Uh, if you haven't had kids before, like, if someone you love has a child before you do, that's a moment when you sort of realize... You begin to, for the first time, see that thing that people tell you about of having your own kid. Like you love them no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, when someone close to you has a child and you hold that child for the first time or see that child or hear about that, find out about that child for the first time, you, you feel this sense of, or at least I did, like this sense of, you know, almost like you're a gorilla, <laughs> and there's a new member of your, your pack that you've got to protect. Like there's a, you know what I mean? Like the, the, I can't describe how like animalistic the first time I met one of my friends. Uh, children, you know, for the first time, was you know, this this feeling of just like, oh, I I will do, I will lay down my life in a heartbeat for this child, um, and and that you know, it's it's almost like a love that binds. It, oh, this makes a lot of fighting and a lot of tough days and a lot of tough nights worth it, just to look into this baby's eyes and see this baby see me. Um, and I I think there's something to that here.
1: Yeah, and and he's he's acknowledging because there. I, I remember the first time a friend of mine, like someone up my age, had a kid that I was close to, and it, I I didn't have. I mean, the, the guys' kids are great, but I I didn't have sort of that that rush of like this is of my you, you know you know what I mean like I, I didn't have like that tribal sort of like protectiveness over it, but I did. There was a part of me that, that sort of felt like oh this like for, well first of all like he's an adult like this is this is real life adult stuff right yeah like, this is very real, but there's also that sense of this per like th- this person is on a journey that I am no longer on. Like you know what I mean. Like I and and I I would later on find myself on a similar journey, but at that part of my life, like I wasn't dating anybody. I was I was in grad school, and it was it was sort of like this thing of th- this this person this person's path has led him to something that is big and profound. And whether or not I want that, that's a question. But that's a question you have to reckon with when when you see someone that you so closely identify with kind of in engaging it at that level. And like, I mean, the the way you articulated it was like, they're like sort of like a tribal, like almost like a, like a primal kind of connection that you would have with the child. But then there's also sort of the realization of like, this is like, this is one of the, this, this is one of the conclusions that a lot of, or not conclusions, but this is one of the points of the, of a journey that a lot of people my age tend to find themselves on, you
0: know? Yeah.
1: And so Bruce describes it here as a long, like it sort of awakens a longing inside of him.
0: Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Um, in the sound of the leaves left blown by the wayside, that's got me out here on the spooky old highway tonight. Is it the cry of the river with the moonlight shining through the same? What scares me, baby? What scares me is losing you. They say, if you die in your dreams, you really die in your bed. But honestly, lately, but honey, lately, Excuse me. (laughs) But, honey, last night I dreamed my eyes rolled straight back back in my head. And God's light came shining on through. I woke up in the darkness scared and breathing and born anew. It wasn't the cold river bottom I felt rushing over me. It was the bitterness of a dream that didn't come true. It wasn't the wind in the gray fields I felt rushing through my arms. No, no, baby. It was you.
1: So so basically he's talking about, like, having (laughs) – I mean, it's, it's funny, He it's it's almost like he has to myth bust his own verse, because he talks about, like, I had a dream that I died, but I also realize, like, you're not really, you can't really have dreams where you die, like, psychologically, I guess there's some sort of, I don't know, there, so anyway, he's like, look, I get, I, I know that people who hear this song are going to be like, you can't die in your dreams, and he's like, whatever, here's what I'm saying, I had a vision, a, you know, a waking, a dream, whatever, in which I did die, And in that dream, as I'm sort of reckoning with like who like my life and all the things that you sort of like deal with, I didn't feel the cold river and I didn't feel like anger over all the things that didn't happen in my life that I wish did. It was you like the only thing that mattered at the end of all, all the only thing that mattered at the end of my own theoretical existence was whether or not you were there. Or you, you know, you were with me at yeah. the end, and that's profound. Especially cons- again, considering where this song sits on which album it sits, and we'll we'll get to that in a minute. Um, as Vivigly
0: also goes to anyway, uh, go ahead and finish it up. So hold me close, honey. Say you're forever mine, and tell me you'll still be my lonely Valentine, lonely Valentine. Okay, so
1: this is this is a pretty straightforward love song. It's got a lot of longing. It has a lot of earnestness to it. It it does not have a lot of the The angst or the frustration or the insecurity that songs like Brilliant Disguise and Spare Parts and One Step Up have, like, all that stuff is not here. But what you do have is you have this very somber, very sober, very longing love song about someone. And the message here is my only hope here is that at the end of my life, I get to be with you. Yeah. You know, like that's that is a beautiful sentiment to offer up to, to a person that you love. But it's also a weird place to put it on this particular album.
0: I don't think it's so weird because a lot of the, the song is talking about how how the saddest thing is being too scared to give love a shot. Uh, and, you you know, like you can miss – he's also talking about missing her, but um, – That's right. Tonight they say – or they say the man who, who uh, travels fastest who travels alone, but tonight I miss my girl, I miss my home um, – Wait no, that's not the line I was looking for. What's the line I was looking for?
1: Um, which, what are you looking? Wh- which, which part?
0: Like, what scares? That ain't what scares me, baby. What scares me is losing you. Yes. So the idea is, is like, yeah, I could, I could do this better if I was alone. But what I miss is you, and what scares me is losing you. And like, in if I wake up and my dream doesn't come true, like that'll be the saddest part. Um, is, is the bitterness of a dream that didn't come true, not having the dream, but the dream that didn't come true. Um. So yeah, maybe I was wrong. Never mind.
1: Well, here's the thing. There's two ways. Let's let's go down. Let's let's do a choose your own adventure tunnel of love uh, situation. So there's there's two ways that you could track this album. There's the way that Bruce does track it, but then there's an alternate way that he could have tracked it. And I think the choices, and I think the choice to track it the way he did versus the way he could have is very telling about what he wants to say. So in an alternate universe, Bruce could have used this song on side one. Yeah. and taken spare parts off of side one and put it on side two and uh right after one step up and made the song when you're alone the final track and that would have been a very specific choice you know what I mean because here the, like if you if you look at the entire tunnel of love album the the trajectory of the narrative is it begins with sort of a Shall, not not necessarily shallow, but but a more optimistic sort of view of love. And the further into it you get, the more complicated it becomes. Like, it begins with Ain't Got You, and it goes to Tougher Than The Rest and All That Heaven Will Allow, which is sort yeah. of like this the sense that love can persevere and that love, love is the thing that connects us. But then the further into the album you get, the more those threads begin to unravel. Like, you get songs like Brilliant Disguise and One Step Up and When You're Alone... Um oh on side 1 you also have Walk Like a Man which we haven't talked about yet but but so you have so on side 1 you have all the songs about like hope and love but then on side 2 you have all the songs about sort of the the undoing the unraveling the disintegration of love sort of the exposure of all the things that weren't as true or real as you thought they were and the and, and but but with the one exception of Spare Parts doesn't really belong on side 1 with that as the theme and this song really doesn't belong on side 2 you with me yeah so I'm with you so which tells you, in tracking the album, because we know that Bruce is a mastermind when he starts tracking these albums, then in tracking the album, he didn't want it to be like a straightforward, like straight line, point A to point Z journey, right? Like he wants he wants to add some sort of complications and some detours along the way. Because if he had tracked it the way I just suggested, it pretty much would have just been a concept album about sort of the undoing of love. Yeah. But it isn't that. So what ends up happening instead is he, if he, is he tracks it this way and it's as if he's saying even though love has been difficult and has been painful there is a part of me that will always believe in it so that's why you have at the end of a, like side 2 which has again brilliant disguise one step up when you're alone i mean even even tunnel of love which is the the beginning of side 2 is is sort of like here we go this is this is all about to come crashing down and then it ends with this it tells you like he still has the idealism inside of him you know it's it's yeah. um I think this is a more poignant way to end the record. Like, the way I would have tracked it would would have been less profound than the way Bruce ultimately chose to track it. Because the first song, which is Ain't Got You, which I've gone on record as saying, I don't love that song, and the and the final song, which is this, both of these songs, the thing that, they, that connects them are longing and hope. And so much of the rest of the album is exploring all the space in between loneliness and companionship, and love and despair, and all, you know all the, all the spaces in between those two things. But when the album is over we get to this song and we're back to hopeful longing, even though it's somber. And even though he's by himself in the car, he, the longing is there. He's back. He's, he's basically the same guy he was in drive all night, you know? And, mm-hmm. but it's more earnest now because the journey, this guy has now been on a journey Be, from track one to track this, to track, whatever this is. Uh, what are we? 12, track 12. Uh, yeah. yeah. So from track one to track, track 12, Bruce, the writer, the narrator of this album, has been on a massive journey. He has been through the tunnel of love. And as he comes out of the tunnel of love, the thing he knows more than anything else is that love is worth the risk. Yeah. You know? And that's why this song is exactly the right song to end the album. And quite frankly, that, this song makes me like Ain't Got You a little bit more. Not enough to change my rating, but it makes me respect where it is. Because he's bookending this album very intentionally. Pro, arguably more intentionally than he's ever tracked an album since Born to Run. Yeah. Yeah, you know? I hear that. So I think this song and where it falls on the album is Bruce's way of saying love is scary and love is painful and love is terrible. But it's also the best thing in the world. So it's worth the risk. That's yeah. the message. I, I believe that's the message of this album. And I think this song is what is what punctuates that message.
0: Yeah. So I think you're right. I think you're right. That's solid. That is a very solid read of this song. That is my rant rant over. You go ahead. <laughs> no, man, that's the read. You uh you you got it. You take it. I agree with you. That's it? You got no yeah. no hot takes? No I fully agree with you. You can you have you have you have convinced me. What was your take before I said all that? <laughs> well, I, I told you I was like confused on it. I, yeah, I, I, I was. I was sort of reading, rereading the lyrics and realizing I was wrong. So, well,
1: it's and, and it. I uh. it took me forever to. I mean, actually, I didn't. I don't know that I came to this conclusion until earlier this week when I was just listening to this out this song over and over. Yeah, and and trying to kind of place it. And so, I, in listening to the song over and over, what I started doing was I just started putting on the whole record and trying to sort of contextualize, like, what do I feel when I get to the song after having been through all of the other 11 tracks, you know? Right. And, and that, cause it is confusing. Like if you just look at it at face value and you put it up next to one step up and when you're alone, this song makes no sense. But then when you start framing it in terms of this, this massive complicated journey, it begins to become like, not only does it make sense, it actually kind of wakes you up in in some, some interesting ways. Yeah. So, uh, that's all I got. Oh right on man. That's a solid. That's a solid read of the song. I'm into it. Cool. How many leaves blown by the wayside? How would you give this? I think I give it like, I don't know if I. Part of to give it four, but I think I give it three and a half. Okay, I think that's fair. I'm a four. Awesome. Yeah, that's the, awesome. And. And this song has appreciated for me over time for a little while this was one of my least favorite bruce springsteen songs because i thought it was boring but
0: really yeah i I think i think the melody is really brilliant like the the cadence
1: it is well and i mean quite frankly i had i had a really hard time connecting with tunnel of love initially like it it took me it, it took me a good i mean i'm i'm like i don't know what like 12 13 years into my life as a bruce springsteen fan and I think probably for the first five of those years, I just did not appreciate this album at all. And, yeah, and you know, getting older and like being married and having a kid and and sort of like just, I mean, really just being older and having lived more of life. The, the, this is one. I think this is one of the only albums of his, this and Devils and Dust, maybe are these are the two albums of his that like the older you get, the more they they genuinely appreciate just because like you, you kind of have to have lived a little bit to sort of really connect with some of this stuff.
0: For sure. I 100% agree. And I think that I have the same ton of love story yeah
1: so. so all right so you're a three and a half yeah cool I'm, i'll be a four i and sure then, am um all right well then you have a nickname before we sign off
0: i absolutely do uh we have a new patron rachel maniloff Ra- wait um, what rachel what maniloff maniloff yeah i think that's how you pronounce it cool i feel per- pretty good about that <laughs> I l-o-f-f anyway okay uh so she uh she told me a few things about herself. Um and so I came up with this little uh you know um early Springsteen uh hip cap uh verse that uh hopefully she will enjoy and feel uh it resonates a little bit with her life here. Um but we're gonna we're gonna call we're gonna say the official like nickname is Barefoot Girl Rachel. Um, Not to
1: be confused with just the Barefoot Girl from Jungle Land.
0: Inspired by the Barefoot Girl from Jungle Land. Cool. So anyway, here we go. Uh, Magic Rat may drive to the Jersey line, but Manilov's been keeping track this time. She knows who's at work and who's been doing their jobs. She's already seen the show nine times. That's right. Flamingo Line shouts through her Walkman cassette as Barefoot Girl Rachel is tracking the sets. She's got five more to go. Yeah, she's tracking the show to make sure it crosses the line. Barefoot Girl Rachel, thank you for supporting the podcast. So wait. And for being a patron. In the in the Bruce
1: Springsteen fan fiction extended universe, is Rachel the barefoot girl from Jungle Land? Because she's hanging out with the Magic Rat on Flamingo Lane.
0: No, 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 no. This is this is this is a this is this is years later. This is a new generation.
1: Oh, so this is this is two Magic Rat, Barefoot Girl, Flamingo Lane.
0: We're referencing back to Magic Rat. He may be he may drive to the Jersey Line but she's been keeping track this time.
1: Okay, so like the original Barefoot Girl is like there in spirit, and Rachel is sort of carrying the torch, as it were.
0: Yeah, she loves the song Jungle Land. She works in uh, HR technology. Oh, so she's
1: in, she's in the, the Bruce Springsteen universe, but she also is aware of other Bruce Springsteen songs
0: just as all characters in the Bruce Springsteen universe are this is a conversation we've never had do we do we believe
1: that all of the characters in Bruce Springsteen songs are aware of an artist named Bruce Springsteen and that and that those songs exist
0: all characters in the um extended podcast nickname Bruce Springsteen universe are aware of Bruce Springsteen
1: okay okay see now we're getting into like the sentience of our characters and like how like, cause, cause it's gone, it's gone now. Just from like nicknames to like straight, like full on fan fiction. Like, what is, what is, and what isn't canonized. We're in like Star Wars novel territory at this point.
0: We are, yeah. Which uh, I re- I've read most of the Star Wars novels, so I love that territory. When you, when you were reading
1: after you read all the Star Wars novels, and D- Disney announced, like, by the way, none of those novels matter anymore.
0: Were you upset, or oh, you're like, whatever, we're, we're, I enjoyed okay. them. What? So I'd rather. Like half of the comic book canon back when it was with Dark Horse, and I had read uh, like a few of the novels. And then um, when Disney bought it, and I was—I love them. And you know, you know my sickness. I I felt pressure like that was hanging over my head every day, like the sword of Damocles that I—that I hadn't finished it. Oh, because you have to complete Um, everything. and I never would be able to. Yeah, and then Marvel says, "Hey, you can read as much of that as you want to, and it will inform the future forever." But those are just legends now. The truth, here's the truth. And they started releasing a couple books a year. I can do that. <laughs> uh, so I have been doing that, and it's been very enjoyable. There's been a few, like a couple stinkers, and a couple of really great, you know, like really great books. <laughs>
1: that's a good way. That's a, it's a fun way for Marvel to sort of treat it. Like, don't say like it's, it's garbage. Don't tr- don't pay attention to it. Say it's it's legend. It's like it's uh, midrashic in in the Star yeah. Wars canon. No,
0: and that's exactly how it is. Because every now and then something pops up, and you're like, yeah, yeah. like uh there's there's some like hints of dash rendar popping back in and i'm just me and my brother just losing our minds um so we're pumped about that dash rendar was a character from uh empire strikes back no 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 shadows of the empire the nintendo 64 game he he drove a super sweet like tiny version of a millennium falcon meets a b-wing and um we love dash rendar and there you have it all right well that was fun (laughs) So
1: that was, uh, that was Valentine's Day and Barefoot Girl Rachel. Um, big, packed episode. So we'll, yep. we will be back in your feed later on this week. And we're going to be talking about the song Vigilante
0: Man. So, That's right. Vigilante Man coming up. And if you want to support the show and get your own nickname, uh, or I guess song verse at this point, uh, you can head over to patreon.com springsteen and support the show. And uh, half the proceeds go to No Kid Hungry. Uh, a great charity doing great work in America. And uh, the other half go to support the show and we can get you a nickname, get you on the newsletter, get you on the slack channel. So uh, check it out if you're curious. And if not, just keep listening. It's free. That's true. All right, well
1: thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back later with Vigilante man.